you have a seat this morning? We started a new series today called Toxic, right? Talking about how can we insulate us in the toxic environments that we end up. And we're going to look at a variety of things as you saw on the screen. Today we're talking about toxic uh, relationships and how inferiority can get in there. And uh, just looking at uh, how do we recognize, deal with, and uh, insulate ourselves from those toxic experiences. And uh, here's the definition of toxic for you. Anything containing poisonous material capable of causing serious sickness or even death. So I think we all agree toxic is like not a good thing, right? Uh, as we look at what, what do we do when those not a good thing stuff, when that toxic stuff, that poisonous stuff gets into our relationships especially and, and what that does to us. Now the challenge for us as we start uh, on the topic this morning uh, is that we have this toxic dilemma. And the toxic dilemma is simply that if you're already a Christ follower, uh, then Jesus is saying to you that your business as a Christ follower is to be out there in the world representing him, right? So you can see he even says in Matthew 10 to his disciples, as he does that, he sends them out. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Let me see. Sheep among wolves. Who wants to be the sheep that's among the wolves, Right? I mean, this is not a comfortable situation, right? This is not, you know, the sheep in the middle of wolves is uh, probably a little on the nervous side, wouldn't you think? Now, the reality is that description is what he is doing every day with each one of our lives. If, if we're already a Christ follower, he's saying, listen, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you out there, Right? I'm, I'm going to send you out there. I mean, that's where our mission is, right, is, is out there. I mean, it'd be nice if we could just kind of stay here and we could be cozy and comfortable and just kind of get together and love on one another and sing Kumbaya and feel good and you know that story, right? The trouble is, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, well, wait a minute, I'm sending you, <laughs> right? So he sends us, if you're a Christ follower, he sends you out there. The trouble is, out there can be toxic. Wolves for lambs would be toxic, kind of poisonous, right? Definitely a threat. And that's our dilemma. Our dilemma as Christ followers is the place that Jesus sends us, the relationship that he pushes us toward and drives us to out there in the world, inherently have the possibility of being poisonous and toxic to us. If you look at Second Peter, Peter describes what's happened to Christians, to Christ followers, who've been out there in the world and they've let the world retake them. Okay? They were Christ followers, but they went out into the toxic world, into toxic relationships, and, and they got poisoned by the situation. It says, if they, those Christians, have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord Jesus and Savior, the Christ, and are again entangled in it, 
are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. Kind of muffed reading that, but you get the gist, right? The reality is they were Christians, they were in the world, but they got overtaken by the world. And he says, now what? Now they are worse off than they were in the very beginning, before knowing Christ. This is our dilemma. This is our dilemma. Where Jesus sends us, the relationships that he drives us to, to be in relationship with unbelievers, inherently has the potential of being toxic. Unbeliever relationships can be toxic. We get this great statement in 1 Corinthians uh, from Paul, and he's writing to the church in Corinth. And remember that uh, Corinth in its day was like Las Vegas on steroids, right? I mean, this was a radically sinful place, right? And so Paul, writing to Christians who are sent to this radically sinful place, right, out into that world, says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. A couple of things there. One, don't miss his first statement. He says, do not be what? Misled. It is so easy to get misled, isn't it? It's so easy to, to, to get misled, to think naive thoughts. So you're single and you're out and you meet this nice guy and he's pretty good looking and he seems nice and he's kind and, and everything about him seems like really good, but he's not a believer. And you say, well, you know, he's got potential. And, and so you start dating and, and uh, your relationship develops and, he, and you get to know him and you keep saying to yourself, well, he's got potential. But as you're together, the longer you're together, all of a sudden he starts putting pressure on you to do some things that you know are not in sync with what it means to be a Christ follower. You're together longer, and all of a sudden you find yourself doing some things that you know are contrary to what God's design would be for right, holy relationship. And you're in the relationship so deep before you discover how toxic it is. That would be being misled. Don't be misled. right? Don't be naive. Don't be misled. Led. Paul says, listen, bad company corrupts good character. See, we enter into these relationships hoping that our good influence will be strong enough and great enough that it will overwhelm them and they will become better or even a Christ follower. The trouble is the opposite risk is equally at play. The opposite risk is equally at play that their influence on us can take us further and further away from being faithful and being the Christ follower we're called to be. If you look at Second Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy trying to raise up this young pastor, and he says, Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. All right, let's unpack it. First, what is godless chatter? Godless chatter. What is that? Well, that, that would be words 
conversation, maybe even actions that are simply devoid of God, right? Godless chatter, something that is devoid of God. He's saying, listen, you ought to avoid that. Avoid the stuff that is devoid of God's presence. Why? Well, because if you get into that, notice it says it will become more and more. It will make you more and more ungodly. It will influence you. It will rub off on you. Notice it's more and more. Is it an overnight thing? Of course not. But after time, after time, after time, the more and more you have that influence you and get that poured into you, the more and more you're around that, the further and further it's going to take you away from the person God wants you to be. Young people who just graduated from high school are getting ready to go off to college. Are you listening? Because that's where you're headed. You're going to be surrounded by a ton of godless chatter. And be careful. Because it has influence the more and the more and the more you're around it. And he tries to describe and give you an image of how powerful, how toxic that influence can become in your life. He describes it as spreading like gangrene. You all familiar with that gangrene stuff? Does this fall in the not good category? I think so, right? You know, right? It starts out as just, you know, an infected cut. I mean, it just starts out as a small infection. But what happens? More and more over time, as it goes untreated, as it's allowed to grow, more and more it becomes toxic and poisonous until it ultimately can kill you. That's the image. So we get in Scripture here a stern warning for us to understand the risk and how serious it is when we engage ourselves out into the world that we are sent to engage. We need to not do it naively, not be misled, but understand the risk. Scripture is so strong on this that Paul in Corinthians would give a kind of a stern warning about long-term relationships between Christians and unbelievers. He says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belilah? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. You get the gist, right? What's the warning? Can't tell you the number of wives over the years who have sat in my office and shared with me the hurt and the discouragement and the difficulty in their marriage because their husband is not a believer. And they're surrounded by the toxic nature of his unbelief. And they don't know what to do. That's why Scripture warns and says, wait, don't be misled. Don't be misled. Understand the risk that we Christians have as we engage in a toxic world where we're sent. Second thing is, unfortunately for us, not only is the world 
have the possibility and the great potential of being toxic, but sometimes that toxic nature finds its way into the fellowship, right? It finds itself here in the church itself, that our relationships, even as believers, can have toxic elements bleed into them. And we see this in Scripture uh, in at least a few different places. Here is 2 Timothy. This is the Apostle Paul writing to that young pastor, Timothy. Paul is probably writing this from prison uh, in Rome. So he's in prison. He's facing his death shortly after this. He's in a difficult place. And he writes to Timothy saying, Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demos, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Do you sense Paul's a little hurt in that experience? Well, what's happening? Well, Demos is somebody who is part of Paul's missionary entourage, right? And in another place, Paul refers to him as a faithful follower. But here, what happens? The faithful follower, when Paul is in prison, decides he needs to go home to Thessalonica, and he deserts Paul. And Paul receives this as desertion, and he is hurt by it. And their relationship has become strained and toxic. Or you can look at here, 2 Timothy, he says, Alexander the metal worker, he did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. So here's another guy that Paul's having trouble with. Now this is the great apostle Paul, remember? Right? And he's having trouble with this guy named Alexander, the metal worker. Now, we don't know the whole story on this thing, but based on other texts and other things that said, it appears that Alexander is a leader in a church, and Alexander just doesn't like the way Paul preaches. Well, let me tell you, don't tell a preacher you don't like the way he preaches. That's not going to make any friends. Okay? I'm just putting you on warning here. Okay? You get it? Yes, I mean, this doesn't make for kumbaya stuff. No way. So Paul is kind of a little upset here with Alexander, and he's got a toxic relationship with Alexander. Or in Acts 15, you get the experience between Paul and Barnabas. Now, Paul and Barnabas, these guys are awesome together. They're out there doing missionary journeys together. They're healing people, raising the dead. These guys did some incredible, awesome stuff together in the power of the Spirit and the name of the Lord, right? They are building and extending the kingdom. But when you get to Acts 15, they get into a face-to-face. And their relationship goes sour. Because Barnabas is an advocate for a guy named John Mark. And Barnabas thinks John Mark ought to go on this missionary journey with him. And Paul says, no way, don't want the guy around. He deserted me before. I don't want him on the trip. And you get to the end and it says, Paul didn't think that was wise to take John Mark because he deserted him. And so they had such a sharp sharp disagreement that they parted company. Now we got Paul and Barnabas poisoned to one another. And where is this happening? It's happening right there inside the faith fellowship. This should not surprise us. Why shouldn't it surprise us? Well, the church is nothing more than a bunch of broken people who've been reclaimed in Christ. And broken people do broken things. Broken people do broken things. 
And so even though we're reclaimed in Christ and he's re- renewing us and recreating us, that old poison is still in our lives and it ekes itself out. It has the possibility of influencing us even inside the fellowship of faith. Relationships can be toxic. When we go into the world, they can be toxic. When we're inside the fellowship, here's the last one. And sometimes relationships get toxic because we just make them that way for ourselves. Not because of somebody else, but because we just make them toxic ourselves. What does that look like? How many folks are Facebook fans? Two people. Two people are Facebook fans. Good. Good to know there's somebody else like me out there because I go on once every six months. Anyway, um, but like Facebook, right? What happened? You get on Facebook and, right, there is, you know, loving family. They look incredible. Oh, my gosh, what an incredible family. Or husband and wife. Jeez, they've got the best marriage in the world. I can't believe how incredible their marriage is. Or so-and-so got a promotion and it's all over and it's like, oh boy, he's succeeding in doing well, right? And in the inference of law, that is what? They got a great marriage, mine stinks. They got a great family, mine's messed up. They're getting a promotion and I'm just stuck where I am. What do we start doing? Right away we start comparing ourselves to those people that we're in relationship with. And we start putting ourselves lower and feeling inferior and we get an attitude towards those people even though we're not even talking to them amen does this happen we see that we all and we bring a toxic attitude into a relationship with people we aren't even talking to we're just looking at them on facebook next time you get that temptation and you see this incredible family or this incredible marriage or a guy succeeding or a woman who's succeeding in their work, instead of getting that attitude, get off Facebook, pick up the phone, call them up and say, I want to buy you coffee because you're awesome and I think God wants me to be that awesome and I need to learn how. That's not an inferiority opportunity. That's an opportunity for them to tell you how God's been working in their life. But we make it toxic. So what do we do? What do we do? Hopefully by now we've figured out toxic is a reality for us. If toxic is a reality in our relationship, we need to not be naive about it. Don't be misled. We need to be able to see it and name it. When it's in our relationships, we need to be able to see it and name it. There's a great story, Luke 15. It's the story of the prodigal son. You know the story, right? Young man talks his dad out of his inheritance, goes off into the foreign country, spends it all on wild living, has a great time. Must have gone to Corinth, I guess. Had a great time, right? And now he's blown through all the cash. He's feeding the pigs for some, some Gentile, and he has this reality check moment. It's in verse 17. It says, When he came to his census, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. Great opening sentence. When he came to his... What does that mean? He had a toxic reality check. He looked at his situation, 
and he named it and said, this is toxic. This is poisonous. He looked at the situation and he named it. Now, this is hard because some of you are in a relationship right now that's toxic. And you need to be able to face it and name it. And if you can face it and name it, you also can change it. The young man named it, and then he took a step to change it. Jesus called Peter out in his toxic attitude and relationship. We're talking the Apostle Peter inside the faith, right? Jesus says, hey, we're coming to Jerusalem, and I'm going to go there, and they're going to arrest me, and they're going to crucify me, and don't worry, three days later I'm going to rise, and it's all for your good. And Peter listened to all this, and Peter says, Jesus, whoa, wait, you got it wrong, man. This can't happen. That's just impossible. No way is this going to happen. And Jesus calls him out, and he names the toxic relationship, and he says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. What's Peter's problem? He's thinking more about himself than he is about what God wants to do in life. When you name the toxic relationships, when you name them, you have to understand you're naming the reality of that toxic relationship because it's taking away the future that God has for you. That's what poison does. It takes away the future. You have to name the toxic relationships, but once you name them, you have to take a step. Now, it'd be easy just to say, well, the first thing you got to do is you just got to name it and walk away. You got to name it and turn away. You got to name it and turn away. But it's where you turn toward that's important. When you name it, you got to turn back to your faith relationship. You got to get right and tight with the father. That young guy, that prodigal son who said, whoa, this is toxic. What did he do? I'll set out and I'll go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went where? To his father. This is the first step. When you name a toxic relationship, you've got to get the right person involved. You've got to turn and get back into that right relationship with the father. Think about Jesus. Think about Jesus. What did he do all the time? He's in a difficult relationship with the Pharisees. He frustrated with the disciples. They're not getting it, right? And what does he do? He gets up early in the morning and he goes off to some quiet place somewhere. Why does he do that? Because he needs to get right with the Father. You see, you can't pour out what's not already poured in. You can't deal with the toxic until you get really healthy. And so you need to turn to the Father first. And as you turn to the Father, as you let Him renew you, as you let Him feed you, as you let Him encourage you, look what the attitude of the Father was. When the Father saw the prodigal coming back, what? Well, he's still a long way off, a long way off. His Father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. God is ready, willing, and able, and wants to run into your toxic situations. Why? So he can throw his arms around you. So he can protect you. So he can encourage you. So he can forgive you. So he can strengthen you. He wants you to just turn first 
to him. Paul writes to Timothy, At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. Was Paul in a toxic situation? Yes, everybody deserted him. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it, and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. When Paul was in the toxic situation, what did he rely on? His relationship with Christ. So you, you may be an unbeliever in the room this morning, and you're listening and saying, well, that's all about you Christians. No, it's also about you. Because you may be an unbeliever who just hasn't come to that place yet where you're ready to surrender your life to Christ because you know when you surrender, there's some toxic relationships you're going to have to turn away from. But when you turn, the Father runs to you. And Jesus is more than willing to be your strength in the future. It allows you to practice grace. When you turn to the Father, it allows you to practice grace then in these toxic relationships. Remember we talked about Paul and John Mark, right? And Paul was upset with John Mark, and Paul didn't want John Mark on that missionary journey, and it split he and Barnabas up, right? Remember that? Here's what Paul says in 2 Timothy. Amazing. He says, only Luke is with me. Get Mark. Bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. What? Wait a minute. I thought we just kicked the kid out. I thought we were just upset with him. We went face to face with Barnabas about him. Now in Timothy, what's Paul saying? No, listen. He is a valuable asset to the kingdom of God. And whether I like it or not, he is important to the ministry of Christ. He is able to see in John Mark the possibility of what God can do. And so he exercises grace. You may be ticked off at another Christian, but you need to exercise grace. Because God has a work to do in that person's life. And God has a work to do in your life. You may be toxic in some relationship with a fellow believer. But you need to name it. You need to get right with the Father and then turn back to those folks and say, wait a minute, there's something more important for us to do together. And that's accomplished kingdom work. And so Paul could say, hey, get, get Mark. I need John Mark because he's important to me right now in the ministry we have to do. It means for us, we move back to the Father, we exercise grace in these relationships, and we stay focused on lifting up Christ. That's the answer. That's the antidote to the toxin, is the more you can continue to lift up Christ, the less toxic relationships become. He says, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Who are you supposed to boast in? You're supposed to boast in the Lord. You see that? See that the antidote to the toxic is when we keep boasting in Christ. What does it mean? When that young man, ladies, is trying to force you to do something that you know is contrary to God's design and desire for your life, what do you say? You need to boast about Jesus and say, no, no. We can talk about a ring, but not till then. No, because I'm boasting in Christ. You need to be able to hold your ground. 
and say, wait a minute, I belong to Christ. And I don't do that stuff. I belong to Christ. I'm not going that way. I belong to Christ. And my relationship with him is more important because it's eternal. You're going to get old, fat, and gray, and bald. Sorry, guys. I'm there. (laughs) Right? You need to stand up. Boast. You need to boast in Christ. Lift him up outwardly because what doesn't change? We are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. That call on our life doesn't change. Even though we know the world can be toxic, when we run to the Father and we stay focused and understanding and boasting in Christ, we can go out there and we can engage that world. We can engage that world as poisonous as it can be because we're the only hope for that world. We're the only hope for all those people that work in your building. We're the only hope for all those folks that you run into at the grocery store. We are the only hope because their life is already toxic. Their life is already poisonous. But our lives have the antidote to boast in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you set us free. You set us free from the toxic and you allow us the privilege to be able to to boast in Christ, to be able to stand our ground, to be able to hold on to the faith and be able to say, no, Jesus is more important. Jesus is Lord, not just anybody, but he is Lord. And he has reclaimed me from a broken world and set me as a city on a hill a bright light to shine before others. So, Lord, we ask in our relationships that we could uh, just see them as they are and not be misled. We could name it, and we could turn to you and just get fed and encouraged to be able to stand and to be that person that makes a difference. And, And with other Christians, that we could bond together in Christ and look to the mission more important than our hurt feelings. So, Lord, we just put all this in front of you now. We ask you to work in our lives in a new and powerful way. Bring us that antidote. In Jesus' name, amen.